Hey there, welcome again to Comic Syllabus, uh, where we read widely and dig deep in comics and graphic novels. I'm Paul, an English teacher, here to look at Junie Baz Jalia from TKO Studios, as well as our polybag segment and, um, and also our first edition of The Infinite Unlimited, if you're catching this in podcast form. Um, here we dig deep, but we might spoil some premises and plot points uh, and not punchlines and not uh, not plot twists. So, um, you know, if you're a spoiler averse, be aware. Um, we are at multiversitycomics.com where contributors who love comics uh, also read widely and dig deep with reviews and previews and interviews and other podcasts such as the DC3 cast or um, Robots from Tomorrow and, and uh, Make Mine Multiversity. Um, and so check us, check us out at multiversitycomics.com. And if you appreciate this kind of look at graphic novels and comics, please subscribe. And, um, you know, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. Know that there is an audio-only feed for places like Spotify that don't allow video. But if you're listening to the audio right now, um, if you are on a podcast app that allows video episodes, you would find with these video segments um, here. And maybe you're watching one of those right now. Uh, nothing fancy. You know, I got this little curly cute thing going telling you to follow and subscribe on my screen right now but um just trying to put some visuals to our visual medium our discussion of a visual medium um we're gonna do the polybag segment which is where i talk about new comics that i picked up this week and uh i, I mentioned last week that i think that i would not be you know for the most part talking about dc and marvel titles during polybagged just because actually there's so much coverage i mean i am an avid reader of dc and marvel's universes um but check out the dc3 cast for some really um fun and thoughtful talk about dc comics um or a ton of other places um same with marvel and so i just want to reserve my sort of reviewers eye for um yeah, just for some different stuff. Now, what that often means is that um, the you know third third up would be Image Comics, and we do often talk about Image Comics. And you know, Image Comics is a creator-owned outfit, and um, whatever the good or bad of a publisher, um, you always want to uh, well. I always want to use the the whatever tiny platform Comic Syllabus has um, to make known the work of you know people like. Uh, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green, whose Bitter Root comes out this week, or um, or a title like Descender, or I should say Ascender, um, by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen, who, which uh, and another issue has come out this week. But when I was planning this episode this week, I decided that I would just put a pause on image titles um, as part of a of a of a you know a broader communication um, from fans and readers and critics. Uh, and creators and obviously mine is a very tiny part but um, as, a, as, a, as a form of communication to say that um, well this past week it was announced um, on Ben Temple Smith the artist's um, I believe Patreon page that Image would be publishing the last chapters of the series Fell which um, Temple Smith drew in collaboration with Warren Ellis in the uh, mid 2000s and um, there are articles out there if you want to read up on the backstory of this and so I won't go into too much detail except to say that um, many uh, people, uh, women who were um, from within and also outside or formerly in the industry came forward last summer um, with a kind of I think testimony to truth that um, I, I, I 
struggle to imagine myself having the courage to do, um, to call out um, kind of exploitative relationships and um, an abuse of of his, you know, power or position or privilege um, on the part of Warren Ellis and, you know, uh, for so many uh, women that the, the, the website on which they published these stories was called so many of us.com. Um, and so when that came out, um, of course, the uh, that that image was planning to publish Warren Ellis again without um, I think Ellis having, you know, um, satisfied the, the the demands of decency to enter into what um, these these uh, these women who had come forward were were asking for, which was not cancellation or something like that. Um, they were very explicit that they were not looking to end people's livelihoods or something like that, but really to redress some history um, with truth telling and to change the culture of um, an often toxic, misogynistic, inhospitable, exploitative um, vein in an industry where, you know, I've felt alienated from comics and um, and the comics community because of those elements of the culture. And, 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 and you know, I'm a cishet male who um, has not experienced that kind of abuse. And so um, I have been incredibly um, grateful for the the kinds of changes that the women like those on so many of us.com have um, have pushed in the culture and in the industry. And so in a, in a kind of you know tiny um, bit of amplification and support that I could do when I was planning which books to talk about this week, although normally I would be talking about a lot of image books among them, and I'll mention a few because I want to pay respect to those individual creators. Um, I just think that I wanted to exercise my prerogative to communicate a message to image um, that, you know, this stuff matters and, and we're paying attention. Um, since the time when I was planning uh, this polybag segment, first of all, the, the, the women themselves uh, and then a number of creators. And then finally, yesterday, image came out with a statement to say they would not be going forward with um, publishing fell. I still feel a sense of the disappointment and disgust that um, that I think we still have to do this discussion every time. And it's not just taken for granted. I mean, what was going on? Were we just were they just talking about it and figured they would test the waters or something? Um, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And um, obviously, most of all, by perpetrators, um, I think, but among all of us um, to to be engaged in restorative and transformative processes, which is exactly what the um, the, peop the women who came forward and so many of us have been asking for. And so um, my tiny part in my you know very tiny platform here at the comic syllabus um, was to with exercise my prerogative and talk about some titles from some publishers who, right, of course, are not spotless, nor you know all of the creators and. Um, editors that work within these publishers uh, also have um, accountability work to do 
but you know there's there's something really good coming out from oni and from boom and from vault and from dark horse and so this week i i just plan to focus on those and um and to say what i've just said and so i i say that with a heavy dose of of gratitude that um the comics industry is becoming a place where you know things too long swept under the carpet are no longer tolerated and i and i appreciate that for my sake for our kids sake for for the sake of the industry and and for the sake of all of us and so having said that um let me talk about jana and the impossible monsters and good luck and blue flame and and black hammer reborn and um and just pause to continue to hold us to uh the idealism that comic books inspire as well as the the criticality that should um continue to sear our consciences and and guide our actions all right, off the soapbox and on to talking about Jenna and the Impossible Monsters um, from Oni Press, written by Chris Somney and Laura Somney and drawn by Chris Somney with colors by Matt Wilson, lettering by Crank. Um, this is the fourth issue. And I got to tell you that uh, I have been following uh, this since issue one because Chris Somney is one of my favorite artists. And um, it was really cool to, to hear about this um, adventure book really targeted toward young readers that Chris and Laura Somney were launching at um, at Oni. And the main disappointing thing for me was to hear that it was only a four-issue miniseries, especially because after I read the first issue, I, I loved the fact that Somney was actually, um, let me just say, luxuriating in terms of his pacing the thing that i would i think be sad about is if somni felt a pressure because of limitations of length or support or time and and if somni felt a pressure if the somnis felt a pressure to um change that storytelling style which you can see on this page here which really lets the visuals do the you know, the action and the character work. Um, Chris Somney is just so good at um, making comics pages that move and dance and and um, and really tell stories without words. And, you know, what that requires is a kind of decompression, you know, where um, eight pages can tell just one action scene. Um, but what I worried about is that, especially after the first or second issue of Jana and I loved the world that they were creating. I loved how much was said without words, but I feared that the pacing of the story would mean that we wouldn't really get too much of a story. Um, we've learned about Jana. We've learned about um, her sister. We've learned about them finding each other and fighting these monsters in a world where the monsters have driven humans out of their homes and land. And um, in issue three, we uh, found uh, the two uh, stepsisters, I think, you know, finding a, a cave full of survivors and so on. We haven't um, moved at a super fast pace. Um, it's that very decompressed style of storytelling. And that's not to say that there hasn't been a ton of information or exposition or things we've learned about the characters. And that's where the art comes in, where um, the Somnies have, you know, clearly crafted things about this world and things about these characters that you can pick up from subtleties of, you know, gesture or facial expressions or relationships between 
characters or reactions uh, that aren't put into words. And that's really what comics do. Um, I think this story could be a fun read for a young reader and at the same time can be its own complex, you know, uh, lesson in close reading the different cues that comics use beyond and with um, parallel to words. So what I feared was that, you know, we would have an abrupt end to a story that just as it was starting to build its momentum. What came as a surprise was that at the end of issue four, there's a to be continued. And so I believe the first four issues are collected together in an arc. Uh, the trade is coming out this month, I believe, uh, and uh, and what I'm really excited about is that it's it's announced at the end that we're going to get more Jana and the Impossible Monsters in August, which is so good because we're really left <laughs> with the cliffhanger and um, many secrets um, about their family, about where the story is going that are left to be revealed. Um, I'm my fingers are crossed that even as um, Chris Somney is no doubt quite busy and wrapped up with um, other titles that I'm following and interested, Firepower is right here. Um, they're gonna have the chance to um, just continue to expand this story because I just um, really enjoy this artwork. And, um, and I think we have a set of characters and a set of situations that, although still much more can be fleshed out, um, is gonna be exciting reading. And you know, there's a way where um, manga has really understood how to target different audiences, including um, in a way having things that are for young kids and for young adult readers that really kind of graduate them through the, um, the visual literacies involved in reading sophisticated comics. And there's a lot of sophistication in those, uh, those kids' manga. And I think what um, Somni and Somni and company are doing in John and the Impossible Monsters is creating a, I'm going to say, comics language rich book for young readers that um, rewards rereading, slow reading, um, just luxurious enjoyment the way that, you know, kid readers that I know can just sit there with a Harry Potter or Percy Jackson reread for, you know, hours upon hours and and Jana does the same with the visuals the monsters the action the the kinds of environments um, that the characters interact with so um, I'm glad there's gonna be more Jana and the impossible monsters if you haven't checked it out yet um, pick up the four issues or the trade out this month um, from Oni Press and uh, and that then we go on to our next um, book and poly bag this month um, uh, which is a new title from Boom Studios called Good Luck, written by, uh, I think it's Matthew Ehrman, and, and um, art by um, Stefano Simeone, Simeone um, with letters by um, Fiorentino and, and a cover by Jorge Corona, as you can see here. Um, I think Boom has been um, in a bit of a golden age lately with uh, a whole bunch of titles that I think have been really doing what I just said that manga does so well. You know, hitting uh, younger readers, hitting diverse readers, hitting with, with diverse creators, um, telling a range of stories using superheroes or horror or fantasy, sci-fi or whatever, um, to do things that are fun, but while they're at it, um, build on, you know, premises or, or genre mashups that, that are really um, original 
And therefore, you know, without trying to be philosophical or, or you know, heavy handed on some some ideology, um, keep on moving the needle in, in with popular culture in the kinds of uh, considerations and questions that they raise. And that's, that's what I like um, that comics do. So Good Luck is um, is a book that really takes the idea of luck and probability and turns it into the kind of fantasy or sci-fi element that, you know, within the kind of language of American comics, um, you can think about what they mean. Um, uh, it takes place in a world where there is an, where, where, you know, we are living in an age of luck. And it begins with a flashback to a um, small town in Ohio in 1989, um, where it's kind of the ground zero for some, some big shift that happens. Um, we're in a quiet little suburb, but then these two god beings of luck appear. One bringing bad luck, and you can see the red character on this page, um, and one bringing good luck. Um, and luck, you know, which is that uh, ephemeral thing that we name when things are going right for us or not, um, it becomes something tangible and visible and, and magic. And, and so um, you can see Simeon's art um, finding ways to draw in, in in something that's I think between the kind of ooey gooey and the techno sharpness um, this the, these visual depictions of this tangible manifestation of luck um, and so you know bad luck comes uh, personified and bringing all kinds of suffering um, and then good luck also comes uh, bringing fortune and bliss to particular people um, at some point it says that luck becomes quantifiable and here in issue one in chapter one which is called safe and sound um, we actually jump ahead to years later where um, we meet um, a main character in fact a team of, of main characters um, including this character Artemis who is in the midst of producing his own music and in some kind of a lab or headquarters where you know some kind of controlled environment and you know gets an infusion or an injection of luck and goes into a like a training room and is uh, grouped teamed together with a bunch of other trainees and and you know they're dealing with whatever it is in this world where luck quantified you know put into liquid form and injected into characters can um can be put to work dealing with whatever you know, crises have come about in the world. Um, I, I really like the art in this book. I think that the the I think that the style has, um, you know, these these aspects that are really um, redolent of, you know, what Boom I think is doing really well. Um, these artists who have found a note that is um, that is you know a kind of you know European and and also Asian influenced and. And um, you know a smattering of, of, of U.S. comics in there, and I, you know I'm reminded of Simone De Mio, for instance, um, an artist like that. And I think Boom has been a really nice um, kind of development house for these styles um, and these very different kind of stories. And I think that um, the premise of talking about luck as the the magic or the supernaturalism of this world allows them uh, to to tackle um, the questions that um, adolescents and, and, and us adults ask about why do some people get to get ahead 
Why do some people get to be heroic? Why do some people get lavished with gifts and others don't? And what is the role of that kind of, mm, it's called luck, but really it's, it's a lot of privilege and opportunity. Um, it's a lot of things that we, you know, haven't earned or ha not, don't have to do with merit. Um, seems whimsically distributed. You know, why, why do they get this favor and I don't? Or why did I get this opportunity and they don't have? and really um, asks those questions along with the role of luck in a world that a uh, modern world that is really built around minimalizing or mitigating risk and you know <laughs> institutions that are trying our best and our darndest as human beings to control life and control the world so that we all supposedly get what we deserve according to our logic um which is not how the world works and um, and so it's, it really becomes a story about how, just as we've seen in this issue one, although there's much more to learn, uh, how young people are trained to embrace their hard luck are just the right ones to save the world. I'm intrigued by that kind of premise. So um, I liked Good Luck issue one, and I think it's worth checking out. Um, also this week, um, just wanna check in from uh, Vault Comics with, with the Blue Flame issue two. Written by Christopher Cantwell, um, with art by Adam Gorham and colors by uh, Russell and letters by Otsman Elhow. Um, Blue Flame's first issue was pretty intriguing, and I I thought it was um, actually kind of unfortunate that it's coming out at the same time as the Adam Strange title because it sort of um, you know invited all kinds of comparisons. I think in issue two we're really seeing where it it is doing something different from the. Uh, Tom King and, and Mitch Jared's Doc Shaner title over at DC. Um, in issue one, you know, what we encounter is a kind of contradiction, and here's where it's like Adam Strange, between this sort of like Buck Rogers-like sci-fi superhero type character that we see on the cover, um, with many of the classic tropes of, you know, being an adventurer in an alien land, expected to be a sort of savior of uh, faraway places, as well as, you know, the hometown earth um that and a kind of mundane and contemporary you know american every every person kind of um and something going on where these are the same people but um but clearly we're living on on two different planes um adam strange has taken that you know i think 10 issues of that have come out to think about um celebrity and power i think something really different is going on here um under um, Christopher Cantwell, former TV writer, um, I think a, a creator of Halt and Catch Fire, a show that's supposed to be really good, I've never seen it. Um, but I like Cantwell's comics work. Um, and Adam Gorham, who is an artist I've, I've quite enjoyed um, in terms of the design and visual storytelling um, proficiency there. Um, in issue two, we are actually opening up on the aftermath of what issue one ended with, which is, um, you know, a bit of a content warning for a traumatic reality of our times. Um, essentially, a, a kind of mass shooting event, and we open up with um, a character that we find out is our main character's sister, uh, hearing about this mass shooting event. And you can see on this page that um, this reaction is amazing, as uh, she's grabbing donuts and hearing on the news about. Um, 
about the shooting, there's a kind of kind of non-reaction on her face that so many of us can relate to, where um, we are just fatigued with hearing uh, over and over and over again about the results of um, the crazy gun violence in the United States, and um, and so it's it's kind of everyday news for her. Um, of course, later on in the issue, she finds out that's in fact her brother who is one of the superheroes who was caught up in this shooting event. Um, and so she enters the story in a really interesting way. Meanwhile, the sort of kind of like other story, the al al alternative universe um, in the sci-fi fantasy, Blue Flame, who is this character, is, um, this is far away and some, you know, and is supposed to make a case before an intergalactic council for preserving Earth despite Earth's slowness to change and failing to kind of match the progress of other planets who have, you know, whatever, evolved and, and progressed um, toward harmony in, um, in a much more impressive way as we kind of see Blue Flame being shown around to see those kinds of planets. And um, what really winds up crystallizing towards this issue is a kind of mounting case for how our concern for each other as human beings um, exemplified or not exemplified in things like how we respond to gun violence um, holds us back from progress but how maybe um, you know blue flame is now expected to make a case for humanity to make a case for how uh, and what human beings cherish what um, in, in words that are repeated in this issue what we can't live without um, there's uh, a scene where um, Blue Flame is taken to see the full record of sentient life in the universe. And then, you know, there's like, you know, many, many boxes for, for different planets. And then, and then he comes to the, the record of, you know, stuff worth keeping for Earth. And it's just like a few boxes of, of like, uh, you know, some CDs, you know, <laughs> and this is like the full record that this tribunal has kept in these four tiny boxes of what's worth, worth keeping in human history. And as Blue Flame is examining it, he's like, he's nowhere to be found, and he's, he's, uh, like flummoxed that, um, that this is what is uh, supposedly valuable in human history. Um, I think it's just some super interesting questions being raised. Um, with again some overlap with Adam Strange, but also doing something uh, quite different. And so I'm enjoying Blue Flame. Uh, pick up this title from Vault Comics. Um, and finally, we come to Black Hammer Reborn. Um, if you've been a reader of the Black Hammer universe, um, originally penned by Jeff Lemire with uh, various artists co-creating, and then now actually various creator teams. Um, playing things out in the universe um, Black Hammer Reborn number one is out this week and uh, we finally get to ha find out what happened with something that was a bit of a, a long-standing open mystery um, what's happened to, to Black Hammer uh, the, the second Black Hammer the one that you see here on the cover um, who is the daughter of the original Black Hammer character who disappeared prior to the events of the first issue you know the first series the original Black Hammer series where this superhero team which is you know kind of analog to uh, many of the superhero kinds of characters and tropes that we've seen in comics for a century um, and the team is sort of living on a farm and stuck 
you know, for a decade trapped in this existence, this small town existence. Um, and we later learned that Black Hammer, who was the character in the title but doesn't show up in the first issue, um, was this, you know, was a heavy on the team who sort of gave his life trying to help them get out of this situation. And, um, and the Black Hammer title, the Black Hammer universe, has always been about you know, our hero stories and how they fit or don't fit with real life. And Lemire and other creators have been fashioning these really interesting spins on some standard um, or, you know, well-known, well-worn superhero tropes. And I think it's been, um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I really get, I really feel vibe with what they're doing in the rehash. And sometimes I'm, I'm not sure too much. Um, but uh, we open issue one of this kind of revisit of where we left off in the main Black Hammer storyline with, again, our second Black Hammer. And there's a recap of how um, how this Black Hammer comes into her role as a young woman. She's trying to investigate what happened, the mystery of her, her disappeared father. And she winds up being the one in the past series, sort of spoilers for that, um, finding the old crew trapped in this alternative small town that... Um, you know, an enemy has constructed for them and then uh, helping them to to break free from it. And her own kind of heroic turn, as you see in this recap, where she picks up the hammer and becomes the Black Hammer. Um, but what we have in this issue is we kind of jump to 20 years later and we see Black Hammer in her own kind of um, maybe self-imposed or maybe imposed by the way that society reacts to heroes um, her, trapped in her own kind of domestic existence. Um, you know, she's got a husband, she's got teenage kids, she's left behind the mantle of the Black Hammer. And, um, you know, and I think um, Lemire, and in this case, um, I should have mentioned artist Caitlin Yarsky, um, colors by Dave Stewart, um, Nate Picos lettering. Um, they're doing their own take on yet another common superhero story, you know, one that goes you know, as far back as the, the golden age, but, um, but um, I think is as, I think comes hand in hand with all of those originary super stories, you know, uh, superhero stories, you know, for every superhero story, there is as deep a cultural impression of the deconstruction of it. And so um, Black Hammer Reborn is having us take this uh, latter day Black Hammer character and consider a world in which, um, sort of post the highs of that superhero uh, stint feels the call back to action from their, again, very sort of mundane existence. Um, this, similar to those questions from um, Blue Flame number two, uh, that still kind of effectively does that superhero story thing of making us think about our own lives and our real lives. And the way that our ambitions and, you know, how we, uh, want to be the heroes of our own story and saving the world come up against um, well raising kids and making dinner um, I think that of course there's going to be many more twists and turns to come in Black Hammer Reborn uh, I'm just excited to be back in, in this uh, Caitlin Yarsky uh, their art at a couple image titles have been impressive and so I'm, um, I'm glad to see Yarsky's art here in uh, Black Hammer so let's keep watching that. Let's keep following that here at um, the Polybag segment on Comic Syllabus. Um, and so these are the other comics that I'm, you know, picking up this week. And um, Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom, uh, number two is out. Um, it is a cool reinvention of, of the Mr. Miracle character and premise. Uh, you should check out Superman, uh, Batman Superman number 19. Um, 
written by a favorite of comic syllabus Gene Luen Yang continues on uh, recently announced that it will be ending I think at issue 21 or 22 which is sad to say um, because I think it's been telling a fun and great story Wonder Woman Black and Gold number one is coming out it's sort of anthology of uh, you know of uh, in the vein of Batman Black and White and Superman Red and Blue and White or something um, Marvel Voices Pride number one is out um, Marvel's got some work to do um let's say in lgbtqia representation and uh and support but i think um this marvel voices pride issue is interesting to me and the next installment of the um russell and isaac's fantastic four life story is out i'm interested in that uh, i think i've mentioned before chariot number four um or chariot by um team of creators i've really liked um i read this issue and as much as I enjoy the premise and the art, I, I don't know that I love where the story is going, but um, been along for the ride so far. Um, and then some titles from Image that I will continue to be reading, Bitterroot, Undiscovered Country, um, Shadecraft, and Ascender. Um, that's Polybagged for this week. Um, thanks so much for hanging with us and stick around as we talk about other comics and graphic novels. I'm reading uh, and stay with us. Each week, Polybagged will look at new comics out. Thanks and let's keep reading.